you, Suzanne. If you're watching online this morning, uh, we're having Youth Sunday and Confirmation Sunday. So team uh, preaching with me today is uh, Mary Pace Lewis, one of our seniors, is our custom to have them uh, come and speak. And um, little, we didn't know this at the uh, earlier service, uh, I, the scripture was read and I made a few comments on the scripture and then um, Mary uh, Pace came and the two things just came together beautifully and uh, we didn't plan it. So in the church world, we call that a Holy Spirit thing. So we looked at each other and said, let's do it again at 11. So we just made it up at nine and now it's all planned and uh, official. Yeah. So now we know what we're doing. Um, This text read in Ephesus, uh, when you go to Ephesus, if you've ever been there, uh, the ruins are amazing and they've only unearthed probably a third of this great, great Roman city. I I guess when I was younger and read the Bible, I I would think that Ephesus might have been a small village town, maybe dirt roads with some chickens and fences and, you know, very unsophisticated people. But when you go over and see Ephesus, you realize it's anything but that. Ephesus is a, uh, was a very, very sophisticated Roman city uh, and a seaport. There were hundreds of thousands of people who lived there. There was... um, you know, a library and a coliseum type area and an amphitheater and uh, streets with marble um, and people coming from all over the world. So when Christians were setting up the church, they went to these strategic places. They went to Corinth and Ephesus because it was a crossroads of people coming and going and uh, caravans or ships. And uh, this is where the church started. When Paul goes to Ephesus and, um, and makes the case for Christianity, he's in a city that is full of pagan uh, temples and worship of many gods. And the idea was if we sacrifice to the gods, now think about this, if we sacrifice to the gods, they are happy with us. And when you turn that around and see that God sacrificed Christ for us, that's totally opposite from pagan worship totally opposite, where God is making a sacrifice on your behalf. This was radical thinking. So to come and bring a church to try to get Christians in a metropolitan area like uh, Ephesus, where it's surrounded with these grand temples, and if they weren't pagan, they were just secular people. Some Jews probably in Ephesus, but um, that wouldn't be the major population. And so when Paul is there, he starts um, basically confronting their worship of these false gods, and they become angry at Paul. And they all gather in the amphitheater, and they're chanting the name of their god, and they want Paul uh, run out of town, and he is. So when Paul writes back to the Ephesians later, these are important words where he's trying to nurture this tender Christian community. And he says the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In other words, there are some offices in the church. There are some official things that people do like uh, Mary Kay and me and Wilson and Mary Park and Suzanne and others. We have offices in the church. 
But he says the purpose of those offices, and here's where we jump into Youth Sunday and Confirmation, and to you, by the way, the purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, if that's the case, saints can't be dead people because you can't equip a dead person for ministry. So when the Bible talks about saints, it's not talking about Catholic saints, people who have done great things, but it's talking about you. Baptized Christians are called saints. So the work of the pastors and the officials and the professionals is to equip the baptized Christians for their work of ministry. Which is to say, we're not, our job is not to get you to come to church and do your ministry here, but to equip you to go out in the world and do your ministry there. Where do you spend 98% of your time? Is it here at church? If it is, you need to get a life. You spend the majority of your time as a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, a banker, a, a, a house, a, a home builder, you know, that could be male or female, raising children. You spend your life somewhere else. So what Paul is saying is the goal of you people who, the offices of the church is to equip you to be Christ's ambassador in the city of Ephesus in the midst of this secularism and worship of pagan gods, we're calling on you to represent Jesus Christ. Let's put it this way. If you were baptized, when would you ever be unbaptized? How many of you have been baptized? When would the day ever come that God would say, you are now free from your baptism? Never. So you're getting ready to hear from Mary Pace, who's 18 years old, who was baptized in this church. Is that right? Yeah. Baptized in this church by you. And you took a vow to Mary Pace when we held her in our arms and said, uh, will you help raise this girl in the faith? What did you say? We will. So all the worship and all the youth groups and all the choirs and all the the trips and all the things that all the preaching and all the work we've done is to equip Mary Pace for her ministry in the world. Our job is not to do ministry to you or for you. Our job is to be a coach and to get you play in the game. Our job is to make sure that you're in your ministry, wherever it is and whatever it is, you are a, a representative of Jesus Christ Everywhere you go, whether it's playing golf, I know that's hard for some of you, or whether it's in a pub, or whether it's wherever it is, if Christ is in you, then he is there where you are. And that means you're in ministry with him and him with you. That's what's true for these young people today that we're confirming That's what's true for these seniors as they go off to school and begin a new phase of their life. Paul says, our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And what is that? He says, for building up the body of Christ. And when would that be finished? Until all of us come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. Sorry, sorry, as my voice cracks like I'm not there yet. To maturity 
to the measure of the full statue of Christ. So in other words, this work is never done. If you're 85 or 89 years old and you're here today, you're still baptized. You still are in ministry. And you'll be a representative of Christ right up to your deathbed. There is no such thing as retirement for Christians. You can't retire from your baptism. It doesn't have an expiration date on it. And so when you are called and baptized, you are put into the world to represent Christ. Paul's writing back to his tender little church in this metropolitan area because it's e- it would be easy for them to lose it. It would be easy for these seniors to go off to college and just lose it. It'd be easy, look, for you to get up tomorrow and go to the bank or go to the courthouse or to go into your surgery uh, room or to go or to be raising your children for you to lose your identity with Christ. And Paul is working hard to say, look, this Christ is at work in you until we all come to the unity of faith and to maturity. Well, what you're about to hear is some maturity. I would pray to God that when I was 18, I could come and talk to you like Mary Pace is getting ready to talk to you. But at 18, I was an underachiever. Does anybody know what that means? Yeah. I was not where she is. And you should be proud of the job you baptizers have done in nurturing her in her faith as she comes to share with you today. Mary Pace. And you cannot call her as your new pastor. I want to say that right now. Good morning. When I was a little girl sitting in the pews here at First Presbyterian, I always wondered what happened to the extra communion bread. (laughs) The, The small piece provided during the service was simply not enough for me and I was determined to track down the remainders of the giant, delicious loaf. One day, I asked my mother if I could eat some of the extra bread, but she only laughed. As I grew older, I learned that the communion bread, in addition to being delicious, symbolized Christ's body sacrificed for me. John 6, 35 states that Jesus told the disciples, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. To me, the bread symbolizes a full relationship with God, but it also represents a vibrant, vigorous community of faith. One of my favorite moments in each service is the reminder that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone, but instead as a community of believers. First Presbyterian has given me countless opportunities to experience and participate in our community of faith. One of my favorite moments of my time here at FPC was my middle school book club. A small group of girls would gather once a month over two years with our beloved leader, Tammy Rice. We read a series of books called The Faith Girls, with a Z, about a middle school girl who deals with typical preteen struggles by turning to Jesus as well as her church. While I now laugh at the titles such as Sophie's Secret and Sophie's First Dance, I related to a lot of her struggles at the time. I also enjoyed listening to the other girls' feelings and experiences, and I began to understand that FPC is a place of listening as well as sharing. My confirmation experience was also a time 
when my faith was deepened. My wonderful mentors, Sally Bryson and Suzanne Roski, guided Sabrina Sampson and me as we discovered what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. I learned that my faith is strongest when I am in God's Word. There are so many memories from confirmation. Who can forget the infamous Camp Hanover retreat when Pierce Terry went to the emergency room due to a giant splinter in his foot? (laughs) Confirmation allowed me to affirm what you all as a congregation said over me during my baptism, that Christ died for my sins, and because of him, I have eternal life. Finally, my opportunity to serve God as the youth deacon has allowed me to experience First Presbyterian in a new way. When I first took on the role of youth deacon, I thought I knew what to expect. After all, I had watched my father serve as an elder, and my mother and brother were also deacons. However, I soon learned that being a deacon was about more than just taking up the offering. As the Book of Order puts it, the office of deacon as set forth in the scripture is one of sympathy, witness, and service after the example of Jesus Christ. During my time as youth deacon, I have striven to be a more mindful and considerate member. I have loved standing outside and shaking your hands as you walk through the double doors, and I have loved seeing your faces in the congregation when I pass the offering plates and when we pass the peace as we did today. I would also like to add that I never dropped the offering plate. (laughs) This was a serious concern for my parents because they know how clumsy I am. 1 Corinthians 10.17 states that there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. When I was a little girl, I wanted to satisfy my physical hunger through eating the leftover communion bread. Now I understand that my desire for the bread is truly a desire to follow Jesus Christ. I now know that I was being filled with the bread when I was first an angel and this year Mary in the Christmas pageant, when I was narrator number one in Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, when I slept in the church basement during countless lock-ins, and when I went to West Virginia through Appalachia Service Project. I did not realize that all the tiny squares of bread could offer so much strength. Thank you all for giving me a slice of the rich, full bread that is First Presbyterian.